Blog Talk Radio. Finally, a global program specifically for wealthy, philanthropic women who are humble, gracious leaders. Sylvia Global's host, Gil Sylvia, invites you to join her in these conversations with first ladies of nations, households, business, and communities. Trustworthy, live conversations with women from around the globe provides a place for your voice to connect with women of integrity, passion, and purpose. Now, here's your host, Gail Sylvia. Good afternoon. I am so excited to be with you here today in Dallas, Texas. Uh, We have a wonderful um, guest today. Her name is Shayla Gillis. And she is the author of the book, The Loom. In addition to being an author, she's also a wife and a mother and an incredibly talented woman who is bringing a message today of hope and inspiration associated with writing. Shayla, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, our pleasure. You know, we define the word wealth oftentimes only in a relationship to money, but I think that wealth is also captured in our talents, our ability to recognize gifts that God has given us and to embrace those gifts, and that seems to be um, evident in your writing talents as an author. Um, How did you, how soon in life were you able to recognize this gift? Um, well, I, I agree with you about wealth, actually, and being in the gifts. Um, I started writing at a young age. I think I was uh, I, I, in fifth grade. I remember um, writing, I say, my first book. Uh, it was quite lengthy, and um, my teacher was, was impressed. In sixth grade, I ended up writing a, a play that a lot of the um, classmates, um, they allowed us to perform at my school. I always had a writing ability, kind of knew that that's what I was um, interested in. I ended up uh, much later uh, getting my <laughs> bachelor's uh, uh, in journalism. And so um always kind of focused on the writing, but professionally focused on wanting to be published. That happened just a few years ago, probably about three or four years ago, when I sat down and decided that I was going to write a novel. You had to make a conscious decision to do it as an adult, but as a child it seemed to come quite easily for you, correct? Yes, yes. It was what I loved to do. And it was interesting because I I was always into theater and into writing, so they just kind of went hand in hand. And so whether I was on a stage, I was like, okay, well, I need to write what I want to say on the stage. And so it was just, it was very, um, those two um, talents were linked. During your teenage years, you penned and performed a play for your uh, for your local church, and you also organized a series of self esteem workshops for youth in South Tucson. Talk to us about that. Yes, yes. Um, I was really privileged to have a pastor who believed in the youth and and allowed us to have the opportunity to express ourselves um, and our gifts and our talents. And so I was able to write a play, and um, uh, we were able to pull members of the congregation together. And I, um, and so even at a, um, I think it was 16 when I when I did the first one, and we were able to uh, perform a play that drew in uh, quite a few members from the community. And from that, I ended up doing an annual um, play in February for Black History Month at the church. So, again, I think that just helped to build my confidence. 
Well, when I was building my confidence, I thought it's really important that those under me, and I thought of those who were um, coming up, uh, children and some uh, students who were in junior high school, that they needed that same type of thing. So we ended up... uh, uh, a few friends of I uh, of mine, we ended up putting together a workshop for self-esteem. And uh, it was a summer-long program, and we had uh, different children from the community in South Tucson come together and learn about what it meant to believe in themselves and the gifts that God has given them. Uh, how was that received by the youth? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was great. Wonderful feedback. In fact, what's wonderful is that even today, I will have youth say, you know, that really affected me. And uh, children who were in the program will um, tell me about In fact, when I was in Tucson, I saw one of the youth that was in the program years ago and and said how effective it was and what it meant to them. So it's wonderful to hear that kind of feedback. That's absolutely um, encouraging, isn't it, to know that you did make, you did plant a spark or a seed in someone's life and have it make a difference. We don't always know if it does or not, so we move on faith um, yes. that our good intentions will be received with the from the heart that they're being given. Um, talk to us. You know, you went on to the University of Arizona and received a Screen Actors Guild membership while working in the film industry in Los Angeles. I just want to give our listeners some back some of your background to set the stage for the rest of our conversation. Absolutely. Um, I I when I got to college, it really was a little. Uh, challenging for me. I was trying to decide between theater and writing because I loved both. And I thought, well, you know, what am I going to major in? Um, I had parents that encouraged me <laughs> to, to to choose writing. And actually, it was my choice. Um, um, I decided on the writing because I thought it was a little bit, and I want to Fitted one, but it was a it was a harder degree. It was a degree that I knew that I was going to be able to use um, in broader in a broader category. You know, so I was able to get jobs. Um, later, I ended up working for Inroads, and I was able to work on the writing aspect of that um, on that in that career. So um, I knew that it was going to give me a chance to um, use that degree in a in a broader sense. So I chose journalism but still had the heart for acting. So after I graduated, and some years later I moved to Los Angeles, and um, I ended up getting my SAG card and, and did some fun things in Los Angeles for a few years before I started having children. So, um, What kind of fun things are you referring to? Well, I, um, I did some um, commercials, but I did commercials also in um, some national commercials and some international commercials, um, some uh Singular was an asthma commercial where I actually had to ride a roller coaster 55 times that day. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not so fun, but uh, but um, actually a great experience. Wonderful um, to be able to work in your in the field that I was interested in. Um, so I did commercials and I did um, I worked on the set of Boston Public um, as a as a teacher. Um, and um, actually, it was funny, I, I worked two seasons, and just kind of depended what they needed. I was also a student, <laughs> just depending on how they wanted to dress me, um, and um, I did some independent films in Los Angeles and some theater, and I also did that in um, in Phoenix. So I was working in those fields, and, and along the way, I was still writing, and I would still uh, find um, opportunities to write, even if I wasn't writing specifically um, on working on a project like a play or something, I was always um, 
always journaling. So I've always written. You know, it's like I have to have, I, I need to write. I need to write. So I kind of always felt like I needed to kind of at least journal my thoughts. When do you when do you find the best time to write? Well, you know, that was interesting because um, my kids are now at a great age, but when I first started writing this book, they were quite small. What age small. are they? Um, um, wait, Okay, my actually my kids are uh, five and seven. So okay. I have, uh, my son Spencer's seven, and my my daughter mm-hmm. Stacy is is five. But mm-hmm. when I first started writing the book, they were uh, my daughter was uh, eight months, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so my son was uh, just about to turn three, and um, very challenging age. And what I found was um, I'm able to write well middle of the night, early right. morning. I'm more of a a morning person. But based on my kids' schedule, I had to adapt to what I needed to adapt to. So um, often I would write, you know, from maybe midnight to 4, or I would write from like 4 to 6, or, you know, whatever time I could um, capture before they, you know, before they woke up. So, yes, usually middle of the night. Is that your routine now? Uh, now I, I usually do more early morning. So, like, even if I were to rise at 4, I'd be able to write from four to six, and then I'd have some time during the during the day, and I still have some time that I write at night. But I I think I'm more of a morning person, so I feel like my best ideas, my best my inspiration usually comes very early, or like I said, middle of the night, like at midnight. Midnight to four is great time right, still right, for me. Right. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I call it the Holy Spirit hour. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. That's all. And I, I I love it. Yeah. So what do you have in your routine? And I'm asking this, these questions in hope that the listeners who aspire to do more writing mm-hmm. will be encouraged by you and be able to get some tips from you on how to make that a reality for them. So are, are there, you know, do you just have the formulate in your mind the discipline of, okay, I'm going to get up at 4 o'clock and I'm going to go to my get my favorite coffee cup and my <laughs> favorite spot at the you know on the computer right, or the sofa right. and just let it pour you know kind oh, you of freestyle for some for some writers that works wonderfully for me not so much it's very interesting because I'm very organized but at the same time I'm very I'm a free spirit so I don't like to have too much when it comes to creativity too much too much structure I need some structure, but I, I don't want too much. So what I do is I say, um, I'm going to write tonight, and I know, or I'm going to write in the morning. And I allow myself, I do, you know, I'll set my, set my alarm, and I will see how it feels. Literally, sometimes I'm writing in my bed. There's other times when I'll go downstairs, I have this, um, we have a creek lot, my house, so there's all these beautiful trees, I'll go outside and sit and, you know, sit out there and with all the trees and I will write and it will be late and it will be, um, or I should say early morning is usually when I go out there for that. But I just kind of have to feel inspired and move to work um, in, a, in different locations. So I, I don't really have a specific place that I write. Um, and I think it really just depends on the individual. I think initially it's important for a writer to kind of set a time and um and 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 have that discipline so that you can kind of get into the routine. And once you start writing and you have that you start getting a love for the story or whatever it is, you know, you're you're writing, 
then I think you will be eager to meet those characters, eager to, you know, spend time um, with that work um, that you're producing. So I think initially you might need to be a little bit more disciplined. Okay, so we're going to post these tips also on sylviaglobal.com under leadership where you'll find Shayla Gillis' um, picture and this audio interview. Shayla, talk to us about the loom and what prompted you to write this incredible story of a slave woman, a slave girl who was torn between love and a life that she, you know, she didn't love necessarily. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the loom is uh, my uh, my first book. It is my debut novel, um, historical fiction, and it is about a, a light complexion African American um, slave who has European features, and she is, as you said, torn between the love on the plantation where she resides that she has and the life of freedom that she doesn't. So those are the two things that that uh, caused the tension in the story. I was inspired to write it after having a conversation with my husband. We were talking about the idea of passing, and that's when you know a member of a particular racial group decides to or attempts to identify with another racial group. And um, we know well, this, that, and this is very common. You know, it's, I don't know. I hope it's not as common today as it has been in previous generations. Yeah. But it's very common in the. You know, it's a part of the African American, you know, legacy and history. Absolutely. And, you know, all the way back to slave days, and probably even before. But you know, for African Americans. Uh, you know, can you elaborate on passing so that you know our listeners understand the significance of this character? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because yes, this is very. It was very common, and what I found was when I was writing the story that there was. Um, it was very common and very well understood in the African American community. Yeah. So when I said passing, they said, "Oh, absolutely, we know absolutely. what you're talking about." You yeah. Know, but um, outside of our outside of that culture, it, it, it seemed as if it wasn't as something that was as understood. So passing is when, um, and I will specifically African Americans um, in this country. Country would, if they had light skin or they had European features, would um, try to, or like I said, attempt to um, identify with the Caucasian race so they would no longer be in slavery or would no longer have the effects or uh, feel the effects of racism in this country. So they would, um, um, I actually have a great-grandmother where this story is told that she went up north and, um, and she was from Mississippi. And she went up north, and she changed her identity. And relatives had seen her, you know, with a, a white family some years later. Um, so it had completely changed her identity and um, by um, emerging into the European culture or the Caucasian cu- culture in, in this country. So um, that's what passing is. And so I have this character who has the features, um, but what's really important about this particular character is that she wanted freedom so much, but it was not, uh, but she really did love who she was as a person. So it wasn't as if she just wanted to forget who she was, and that was why she was so torn. So she had a love for her people, for her grandmother, for her father, for this man that she um, eventually meets, Um, but yet she desired freedom so much. 
and it was um, she saw the pain that slavery caused, and that's why she was so torn. So it made it even more complicated as opposed to a character who said, you know, I don't even want to identify with the African-American um, heritage. You know, that that was not the case for my character, Lydia. Yeah, the pale skin and deceit is a part of what opens up this door for her mm-hmm. to wealth and power and um, yes. that she had only prior to that been dreaming of, you know, yes. and then, but what she didn't count on was that she did fall in love, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, realized life was about so much more than just issues of being black or white. Absolutely. Can you elaborate on that for us? Absolutely. Um, so with Lydia... Um, what she what she discovered was that it wasn't going to be this easy break, and it never is, you know. And it's for everything that we're trying to achieve. And and what I wanted was a character that we could all relate to. Didn't matter uh, your culture, your cultural background, um, because Lydia was faced with asking the question: Does the thing you want mean more than what you're going to lose? So for everything that you want to gain, are you okay with what you're going to lose? Um, for every, I, I say in the prologue, for every rose there's a thorn. So it's like, is that how big is the thorn? Are you? I mean, there's going to be some pricks. There's going to be some bleeding. There's going to be some loss for the beauty of what you're trying to achieve. Is it worth it? What it, you know, is it worth the cost? And I think it's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And so I was trying to make sure that. I was writing about, even though I'm writing in the past, this is set in like 1850, um, that it was current because these are the issues that we are currently facing. These are the same issues, the same um, the same problems. Are, uh, what do you want? What do you desire? And is it worth the sacrifice? Is that what you mean when the prologue, when you open up with every push for life pulled her closer to death? Yes. You know, and um, very interesting that you would bring that uh, that bring that up. That is the first line of my of my book, and um, I actually spoke in Tucson this past weekend, and I did a um, a talk based on that just that one line. Um, and yes, that's what I mean. For every push forward, there's a pullback. For every every step towards life, there is some death. What and what I mean by that is, for everything that I need to live for. If I need to live for um, more um, grace or more love, then some of my selfishness has to die. So for everything that I'm pushing forward, some things are pulling against me, and some of those things that you, some of those things you want to die, but there's there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cost. So absolutely, that's what I mean. Is that for everything that you're that you want, there's going to be some things that are are, are going to um, fall away as well. So it's a cycle of life: the life and the death, the pulling and the pushing. It's a cycle. What experiences have you had, um, Shayla, mm-hmm. that reflect this? Push pull scenario. Mm-hmm. Good question. Well, um, I think part of it when I when I moved to Los Angeles, I had to make a decision. My husband and I moved there together, and it was making the decision to uh, kind of step out on faith. What do you? What do you? The thing that you wanted, which was acting and writing, are you willing to sacrifice for? And what if you fail? <laughs> what if what if it doesn't look the way you want it to look? 
what if it doesn't um, manifest the way you kind of dreamed it would? Um, I think that, uh, so so for me specifically, when I went to Los Angeles, I decided that we were going to, I was going to go for it. I was going to act, and I did that until I um, actually um, uh, started focusing on, on having a family. And um, and when, when I did that, I transitioned to the writing. But it's the risk that I took. And so that is the pushing and the pulling. And, and pushing against um, sometimes self-doubt. Sometimes you're pushing against um, the um, the culture because, again, I think sometimes you'll hear, uh, okay, well, that was kind of nice in high school, acting and writing, but can you make a career out of it? And so for those of you who are listening, I say, yes, you can. You can choose to do that. You can actually achieve those dreams, but you are going to have to push for them, and you are going to have um, maybe sometimes the, the culture, um, society, pulling against you, um, you're going to have to go against that resistance. And even sometimes it's, it's within your, yourself, you know. So I absolutely, I have had those that pushing, that pulling, that life and death experience. Oh, how has faith played a part in your your choices? I am definitely a woman of faith. I um, believe strongly in the Lord. And um, I um, have walked, um, I think my whole, my whole journey has been about him. What's interesting is about uh, the loom. When I started to write the loom, this is, um, I'll give you a little background. I uh, wrote the story, uh, amazingly sold the story quickly. Uh, that was just a blessing. I went to a writer's conference, met a woman by the name of Sharon O. Foster, who, um, is a writer, and she's a, an African-American uh, writer who uh, has penned at least 10 books, uh, 10 novels. And she, uh, you, could have a, you could choose to have someone read your manuscript, a manuscript critique. And she read the first 15 pages of my book, said, love it, you're ready for a house, and literally contacted people in the industry for me, and the doors open. So that's, that shows the faith. Um, that shows um, how wonderful um, that worked out. really had very little to do with me. She said the talent did. The talent opened the door, but obviously the Lord opened the doors. Um, from there, I wrote the book, and some after I had my contract, I actually rewrote the story. So I was sitting up one night reading... Um, reading Ezekiel, and <clears throat> had a whole new vision for the story. Now, the story is written, and the story is contracted, okay? And I, was, I decided, took a step of faith, and said, I've got a better story. And I thought about the story of Hosea in the Bible, where there's a, a prophet who was asked to marry a prostitute. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and, and I thought of how... Hosea, of course, represents, um, he represents God the Father and how he loved Israel. And I thought about how, you know, Christ loves us. And I thought about how um, often that love, that well, always, that love is so steady. And we drift and we, we move and we, we come close and we pull back and we, we go forward. And I thought, that is John and Lydia. So I had, uh, and those are the two characters of my story. So I had a whole new idea, a whole new, I, I would say a deeper theme for the story, and I rewrote it. 
and I gave it to my <laughs> I gave it to my um publisher, my editor, and they said, "Whoa, this is a different story." And I said, "It is." And they said, "It's better." And they went with it. <laughs> and <laughs> thank God. <laughs> and so, but I think that um so saying I'm a woman of faith, I I I also believe that we have to be real connected with who we are and and trust it because it was a risk. It was a risk to kind of come up to my and, – and like I said, I was under contract and just rewrite the story, and I thought, this is the one. This is the right story now. And so it's about trusting yourself, I think, as a writer. You know, I know that you love the Bible and the authors mm-hmm. of the Bible. And so talk about how you, – you just gave an example of Hosea and that wonderful story – and how that symbolizes so much of God's love within our lives today. What other ways have the Bible has the Bible and the authors within the Bible influenced your writing? Yes. Um you know, I have a lot of scripture in my book. Um and um first of all, I would say that the Bible has um and the authors of the of the Bible have inspired uh, my story because they've inspired me. Um and um i grew up i have a lo- i have a love for the bible so i grew up reading i think at, at the age of 12 i read through the bible and started to really find a love for it um absolutely amazing book the stories um but also um psalms you know the just the beauty of the poetry of that and all the po- you know um song of solomon and proverbs just absolutely beautiful so when i looked at that writing I think that helped. I think that inspired me as a writer, um, and obviously, knowing the actual author of the Bible right. um, was was the true inspiration. Um, and um, I, I think that so. So when I when you look, read through my story, and I was thinking, even when I speak, oftentimes I'm referring to um, knowledge and um, insight that I've gotten from the book, um, from the Bible. Um, even though if I'm not actually directly referring to specific passages um, or I should say scriptural references, um, I still am um, influenced and inspired by it. You know, by asking questions such as what does it really mean to have faith, you know, and being able to explore that within the context of the loom, you know, reveal that you were exploring that in your own personal quiet time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm so sorry. We are running out of time. And we not only look forward to having you back on Sylvia Global, we're really excited that you'll be an upcoming guest on our broadcast called Devoted Moms. So we're going to get that scheduled and um, get the word out there so that um, our listeners can learn more about your book and you and just your the ministry of your life and the the writing that you do. Before we go, Shayla, um, I want to ask you a question about loom rooms and give you an opportunity to talk about the loom room. Absolutely. Okay, Um, the loom room was something, it was actually a piece of history that I found fascinating, and I think it's very, um, it's not well known. And uh, the loom room was actually... uh, a place where elderly slaves who were no longer able to produce on the fields, tobacco fields, uh, cotton fields, 
they were placed in these rooms on certain plantations where they were able to, they were um, now weaving cloth on a loom. And so I thought about what it would feel like. I was trying to imagine what it would feel like to know that you were working on the field, and when they came to you, a slave owner came to you and said, it's time for you to leave here and go into this room, and you are now producing cloth for the, for the plantation, that you would know that you were coming towards the end of your life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, what would that feel like? What would that be like? So that's a big aspect of the, um, the story. Although we visit those char- characters, um, I w- almost want to say briefly, they have a very significant um, part in the story because what uh, they influence Lydia, and and she sees them, and it's her, re- and it's one of the reasons why she decides this is not what I want. I don't want to be um, placed in this room, and yet she gets lots of she learns a lot from them, and she um, sees a lot of wisdom from them. And uh, so anyway, so that's what a loom room is. And I th- I just thought it was very fascinating because it happened on some of the plantations that. And I think it's a very little-known fact about our history. It's a wonderful piece of information, and there's more in your book, The Loom, that we can learn about our history. And people can also follow you on your blog at shaylagillis.com, S-H-E-L-L-A, Gillis, G-I-L-L-U-S, dot com. Shayla, what's your next book? Um, Well, I'm going to be working on it in January. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so I um I have a title and I have kind of like a um um a few uh, it's funny I I think in colors I've got a color color schemes of what it will feel like a, a feel for the book but it it'll be coming soon. Oh that's wonderful. Thank you so much Shayla for being here with us today on Sylvia Global. It's such an honor to meet you and congratulations on the blessing of your family and the success of your book. Thank you so much. Thank you Sylvia. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to Sylvia Global with your host, Gail Sylvia. Become a subscriber to Sylvia Global for unique listener opportunities. Follow on Twitter and like them on Facebook. For more information, go to www.sylviaglobal.com. That's Sylvia, S-Y-L-V-I-A, Global, G-L-O-B-A-L.com.